he talks about when you get a combination of the giddy up, you know, the drive and a continual, you know, um, want to improve and, and educating yourself and, um, you know, I suppose work ethic in a nutshell combined with um, something that you're innately good at. So I feel like my coaching's okay. I feel like I coach at a reasonably high level. That's something I'm passionate about. So, you know, when you combine those two things, that's when you, you ultimately get success. So um, it's sort of something that's stuck in my my mind. And, it, and again, it's, probably, it's not too dissimilar to the players, you know, like when you combine talent with work ethic, that's when you see the great players G'day, Alex. How are you? I'm good, thank you. That's good. How's the day going so far? Yeah, pretty good. Um, we just had some interviews for some interns that we're going to take on this year. So um, I've had a couple of those this morning and then, um, yeah, pretty free this afternoon. So, yeah, it's a good day. We're still in the off-season at the moment for another couple of weeks and then, um, yeah, we'll hit the ground running, I think, on November 6th when the players return. Nice. How's the sleep schedule going now since the season's been over? Have you been able to get back to a normal sleep schedule and normal routine? Yeah, I'm actually, because I live down in Wollongong and I travel up to Sydney each day, I, I get into a really good routine of getting up at about 4.30 in the morning pre-season and then getting home at a decent hour. Um, but the off-season, you just fall back into bad habits, like staying up late and watching Netflix and, and all that sort of stuff. So um, I'm actually... in in a lot of ways looking forward to getting back into a normal structured routine when um, when pre-season starts. Mm, 100%. But, yeah, you're just enjoying it, you know, changing it up. So it's all good. So how are you feeling after the NRL season this year with the West Tigers? Um, disappointed but optimistic, I suppose, is the way, is the way I describe it. We're, we're coming off to um, really poor seasons, um, which has been disappointing for me coming across to a new club and um, and having that as the outcome. But having said that, I think we're we're putting in place some really good steps to get success down the track. And we've got a really really young group too, which um, you know you can't forget. We've got a lot of young players. I think some sports too are a little bit more forgiving when you don't have success and they can see that you're planning for the future. The NRL is a little bit different. Everyone wants to win the competition right now. So that makes it a little bit difficult, you know, from a public perception point of view. But, um, yeah, I think, you know, I'm probably the most driven I have been in a long time um, going into a season with a new coach. And um, that performance group has been together for 12 months. So, you know, looking to, to um, you know, expand on what we built the last 12 months is something I'm looking forward to. Hundred percent. I think the exciting thing with the NRL is you don't know who's going to be good next season either, because this season we saw a whole bunch of teams who were in the top eight not make the top eight. So you know, yeah, it's just really exciting times. And who who knows what's um going to happen for the West Tigers next year? You could just bounce straight back into the top eight. So I think that's really cool um and exciting about the the NRL. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully, you can bounce back into the eight. Yeah, haven't, haven't been there for a while, so. Yeah, that'd be a really big achievement for the club. Mm. So what have been some of the highlights of the strength and conditioning program this year for the West Tigers? Oh, I suppose I touched on it just before, but, you know, bringing a new group of performance staff together, um, you know, with different beliefs and philosophies and different values and, um, you know, clopping we as a group, we collaborate really well. So, um, you know, that that's probably one of the positives. I don't think, you know, I think our fitness and our, our strength and conditioning 
was a positive of this year. I don't think um, we didn't have too many soft tissue injuries and I think um, we were reasonably fit, um, you know, across the course of the season. So, you know, that looking back, I suppose that was a positive. Um, yeah, I'll be challenged to, to take that to the next level next year. But, um, yeah, I think you, you need to look for positives even when you have a poor season. And I think we did a lot of things well. So, um, yeah, it'll just be moving forward and building a lot with what we've already established. Mm. When taking it to the next level, is it just trying to find, you know, that extra 5 to 10% improvement and not change too much? Or, or you are going to change um, quite a bit from last season? No, it's probably not changing the program as such. It's probably placing emphasis on certain areas a little bit more. We know, um, you know, calf injuries are really prevalent throughout most professional sports at the moment. So we did a reasonable job of preventing them in season or reducing the risk, I suppose. Um, whereas I don't think we necessarily did that pre-season. So that's, that'll be a point of emphasis for us going forward, you know, just how we what that looks like pre-season and how we can make changes to the program to um to address what happened last year nice what are some of the things you like to do for calves um to prevent to make sure that you prevent uh those type of injuries um i think obviously the strength part's really really important um for me the calf is becoming the new the new hamstring you know hamstring it, hamstring injuries were a massive issue you know the, over the last well really you know 10, 20 years, um, and now I think with the speed of the game, especially in the NRL, you know, with the six again rule and, um, you know, the good teams that bring line speed and, um, you know, just bring that intensity to their attack and their their defence, you, um, you know, you, you get a little bit more, you see a few more calf injuries. And um, I think for me, one of the big exercises I like to do is a is a, like a calf um sorry, a sled pull, um, like a bent knee sled pull where you're not necessarily locking out an extension of the knee and it becomes less about the hamstrings and glutes, you know, doing that movement and more about the, the psoas, bent knee calf. Um, strength work's always cool, but it's hard to get the whole squad through a, a Smith machine, um, you know, to do that as your preventative exercise. And then, um, yeah, just keeping an eye on the acceleration, the intensity acceleration, uh, the density of those accelerations too, something that we've looked at a little bit more over the last 12 months. Um, but certainly I think that the strength component is, is huge and that's um, something we didn't do a heap of pre-season last, last year and that's probably, you know, it's going to be a main part of our program. Like I said, a, a real point of emphasis for us going forward. Nice. Thanks for that insight. So, when did you decide you wanted to become a strength and conditioning coach? Was this always an area of interest for you? Uh, I don't necessarily think it was a strength and conditioning. I don't think that was the interest. I think it was more the coaching side of things. So I was always, like most people that come through a sports science degree, interested in sport and, um, you know, interested in a lot of different sports, loved coaching. Um, Dad was a, a PE teacher, so, you know, watched him um, do his craft for a number of years. And then, um, yeah, I just... I think it was the coaching thing. I was more more enjoyed as opposed to the strength and conditioning. And then, yeah, obviously found out that, you know, strength and conditioning was a career and, and went down that avenue where I was able to work with a lot of different sports, start off in the Victorian Institute of Sport and was exposed to, a you know, a large number of sports there. And, um, yeah, I suppose built a career off that. No, it's awesome. 
So when it comes to be a strength conditioning coach for rugby league, what is your overall philosophy and approach to coaching? Um, yeah, it's a, it's a probably detailed answer to that question. Um, for me, there's probably two parts to it. So there's the person, so the athlete that we're dealing with. And, um, you know, in this environment, we deal with a lot of different personalities, like most team sports. Um, you know, so understanding what makes them tick, what makes them, you know, motivated, demotivated, how you can get the best out of the individual. Um, just to give you an example of that, we've got a, a player who uh, is an older player, has been to a few different clubs, very good on the field. Um, his craft is unbelievable, but hates doing weights, hates training. So how we approach him and you know, what he's prescribed is completely different from, from what the others say. I think, you know, having that individualization within the training is is important. And then I suppose the program itself. So, you know, what are the demands of the game? Are we meeting demands of the game uh, or addressing the demands of the game? Um, and that's that can be the game model too. So how we want to play is that being addressed within our program is a big, big part of it. You know, for a team that wants to go flat and fast through the middle, our training needs to address that. If we're a team that wants to get in the grind with other teams, sort of like a a penalist do, you know, kick to the corners and then and bring intensity in defence, then our training obviously has to address that. Um, I think it's got to be evidence-based too. So evidence-based from a peer review point of view, as in research that's out there. You know, Dan Baker's done a lot of stuff in our space um, about, you know, 20, 25 years ago around S&C. And then also experience as well. So what have you seen that you know works? What have you heard others do that works? Um, I think that's a big part of it too. And then, um, yeah, the individual too, like, you know, addressing their weaknesses, um, their areas for improvement. Um, you know, I've got a database which compares each player across the board to, um, you know, other players that I've worked with for the past six years in the NRL. So I can look at a you know, hooker and see where they fit positionally, you know, in the area of strength, conditioning, speed, uh, you know, jump data to give us a bit of an overall picture of, of where they need to improve. So, yeah, probably long-winded answer to say that it's, it's you know, fairly complex when you're, you're dealing with and, and um, preparing these players for, for competition. No, it's awesome. It, it makes sense because, you know, understand the person, understand what their training background is and then try and find the best program for them. And you got that database. That sounds really cool that you, you got there so you can really see what are some good benchmarks for that player to hit and then um, understanding how strong enough is for them and how fast enough is for them as well. Um, so that, no, it's a really cool insight. Yeah. So what does it take to stay and and sort of be at the NRL level as an SNC coach? Um, I suppose there's, there's again, there's probably two parts to this, and I there's Matthew McConaughey actually talks about this, and I listen to a few of his podcasts and, and some of the stuff that that he makes comment on, and he, he talks about when you get a combination of the giddy up, you know, the drive and the continual, you know, um, want to improve and, and educating yourself, and um, you know, I suppose work ethic in a nutshell combined with um, something that you're innately good at. So I feel like my coaching's okay. I feel like I, I coach at a reasonably high level. That's something I'm passionate about. So, you know, when you combine those two things, that's when you, you ultimately get success. So um, it's sort of something that's stuck in my my mind. And, it, and again, it's, probably, it's not too dissimilar to the players, you know, like when you combine talent with work ethic, 
that's when you see the great players. Um, so yeah, that's for me. That's a big part of it. Hmm. Hundred percent. So, how can strength conditioning programming um, and training help rugby athletes to reach their full potential? Um, I suppose the first one is resilient. So, you know, creating resilient, robust athletes. Obviously, if they're out there, the longer they're out there, the, the better they're going to get at their craft. Um, more exposure they are, the more exposure they're going to get to skill. So that's a, that's a big part of it. Um, in our sport, strength and power is huge. So if you think about the force velocity curve and you know where certain movements fit on that force velocity curve, um, you know even in rugby with you know, I'm assuming there's a lot of um, isometric contractions within the scrum. Um, we get a little bit, you know, within our wrestle. Um, you know, that's a big part of it. And you go, you know, sort of work your way through to, you know, more velocity-based movements that are accelerations and max speed and all that sort of thing. Um, you know, there, there's a huge correlation there. Um, the conditioning component too, the ability to play the full 80 minutes, you know, um, we know from other sports that, fitter players generally execute their skills better too. So um, I think there's a bit of research around in AFL that, you know, guys who were fitter or deemed fitter on an aerobic um, capacity test were, were generally able to execute their skills better than those that weren't. So what type of um, aerobic capacity testing do you like to do with the West Tigers? Um, we do we do a combination. So we do two tests. We do a shuttle-based test and a... And a um, what is it, about 1.5, I think, aerobic test. Um, yeah, to, to obviously establish MAS numbers, um, but traditionally rugby leagues use the Bronco, you know, 20, 40, 60 style test. Um, it's, yeah, one that's done probably by, by a number of clubs. So, yeah, that, that's one that we use. Mm. What's that shuttle test that you like to use? The, um, yeah, the just, one the you, just the Bronco. Just the Bronco. Okay. Yeah. I was thinking you might use the. I think is it the twenty meter shuttle test? You do it over six or twelve reps. I've heard yeah. that in the past, and that's pretty damn hard to do itself. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't see if 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 any other coaches use that still. But yeah, that would be also another good test that you could use. No, I think sometimes you can go down the rabbit hole of what's the best test, and um, at the end of the day, it's got to be you know those things valid, reliable, and um. You know, we've got data, historical data from it too. So that, that makes it pretty important to be able to compare players, like I said, um, you know, positionally where they fit, whether they come back and meet those standards that we've set before the um, before the off-season too. Mm. What's some of the best times you've seen in those tests? Oh, yeah, at other clubs, but, um, you know, 430s. Um, yeah, can't remember off the top of my head, but there's some... <laughs> there's some really good, mm. uh, really good young players that come through and just smash those tests. Obviously, body weight, lack of body weight helps too. Yeah, hundred percent. You see, I see some of the the All Blacks when they do those tests, getting around those times, and you're just like, "Geez, that's that's quick," and that that is really fast doing that. Yeah, yeah. So, how do you, as the SNC coach, make sure athletes can transfer their strength, power, speed, and agility onto the field? Yeah, I think transference can be one of those things that's, that's hard to measure at times. There's obviously things that we can measure, you know, max velocity, acceleration. Um, we can look at kick chase speed. So as a group, positionally, how are they, what speed are they kick chasing at? Um, and then, you know, game-related metrics like tackle efficiency. 
And then, of course, there's the things that we can't. So, you know, coaches' input becomes really important, what the coaches are seeing. So the more conversations you have with coaches, the better an understanding you, you get sometimes of, um, you know, where certain players are. Sometimes they see stuff that you don't see or you don't pick up on the G- GPS metrics. Um, you know, more experienced players, how they're feeling as well. So, you know, quite often the ones that are fully engaged in their program will tell you what they need in their in their um program and, and you know what what they need addressed um and then yeah there's obviously things that you watch during the game you know do our middles get back on tackle three to take a carry you know is that a is that an intent thing is it a fitness thing but um yeah a lot of it is around conversations with players and coaches that um to back up you know what the gps data is telling you Mm. Are you always encouraging athletes to take a bit more ownership of their training program or do they need to wait a few years once they're into that system in the NRL to then start to decide and start to have those conversations with yourself? Yeah, a bit of both, to be honest. I think there's been a shift in probably the last five years where players want more ownership of their program, um, which is great, but some have got no idea what they're doing and need to earn the right to be able to have that sort of input. So, um, yeah, I guess it's a case by case. There's some smarter, younger players that are that are really good. You can have some really good conversations with around what what's in their program, um, and then there's some others that just need to be told what they what they need to do. Yeah, you got those different spectrums where the the younger ones will probably understand it straight away, and then once you get sort of a more seasoned veteran athlete, that would probably be be some of the hardest or more challenging conversations sometimes because they've been playing the game for such a long time and they they know their body and as a coach it could be quite hard to try and influence them maybe just talk about it and give them suggestions but you know imagine like a cam smith comes over to your club and you're trying to change his um, way of training when he's been playing and being healthy for so long yeah, that's right. We've we've got a couple of older players that have trained. You know, one of them's built his whole career on work ethic, and he's at a point now where he probably just needs to reduce his his volume. So that's a difficult conversation to say to a guy who as experienced as him. You built your whole career doing this. This is what's got you to the elite level. But now, you know, your knees and your back and some other parts of your body aren't dealing with that training load. So we need to address it you know, your training and potentially need to, um, you know, modify that in a certain way that allows you to progress your career, um, you know, into the future. Mm. And it's just probably just telling your athlete just to sort of trust your judgment as well. And it's like, hey, we're just going to reduce your volume and see how you feel over these next, you know, two to three weeks. And they'll probably come back to you saying, wow, I actually feel pretty good not having to work as hard, but I'm still working hard, but I don't have to do all this extra volume. Yeah, that's a huge part of a trust, isn't it? Like getting athletes to buy into what you what you need them to do, and um, yeah, that that's probably the most significant point in that discussion. Mm. So, what have been some recent changes to your programming coaching over the last one to two years? Um, I wouldn't say it's changed significantly. I think the way that we present data when we're coaching—sorry, not present data, but present everything really. Um, you know, programs, uh, information to the players have changed. Um, that's probably been the biggest change. I think, you know, um, attention span of some of the players and society in general really um, has changed and we need to progress with the times. And, you know, we may have stood in front of the group for five minutes explaining what's in the program and going through in a little bit more detail. It's, you know, these are the basics of the program. You know, these exercises, these are the ones that have changed. Um, 
you know, that's, that's, you know, trying to maintain their attention and their focus for a short period of time, especially when they're ready to do a strength session or conditioning, conditioning session. Um, you know, that, that's, that's been the biggest change in my coaching, I think. Yeah. You definitely have to be short and sharp and keep it straight to the point. Cause you you do see it sometimes when these meetings go on and on, all the, all these reviews go on and on and you just see the attention span of players just like, okay, cool. I just want to get to the next meeting or go do recovery or just go do something else. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's um, you've only got a small window to get, get your information across, especially when you got, you know, 30 alpha males standing in the gym waiting to rip into, into their weights. Mm, but it's it's also been interesting to see um, some of the more se- seasoned coaches. So, you know, the hot topic at the moment in rugby is, is Eddie Jones. Um, but, you know, reading his book, he just talks about how the players have, you know, really changed since when he first started back in the early 2000s to now. And he's had to change his approach and really make sure he understands and, and everything you've said today, like really care about your players and really get to know them because then that's the, going to be a really good way to get the better understand what they need from you and how you can um, also provide some services outside of your coaching as well and just listen to them really. Yeah, that's right. Mm. So how, how do you find the balance between all the performance um you know metrics and data out there in the nrl and all the data that you get from yourself how do you find you know yeah that balance between okay we're going to look at these ones we're not going to worry too much about these ones and um and how that influences your programming um the experience plays a big part in that so knowing what to look at is um is a big part of it I'm pretty set in what I want to look at from a GPS point of view. I think I, I feel like I've got a good enough understanding of what's important, not to say that, um, you know, I'll only look at those things, but um, like I mentioned before, you know, acceleration density is something that I've looked at a little bit more, especially in this sport. It's, it's important. Um, so looking at changes in that has been a, a bit of an eye-opener. Um but yeah, I think sometimes you can become too bogged down in the data, especially if you don't know what you're looking at. I'm much more of a, um, a subjective kind of guy. I'd rather, um, you know, use my coach's eye for one of a better term and um, combine that with the data that I'm seeing. Because sometimes you can look at the data, the GPS data, and it tells you that it's um, been an easier session than what the, the players are telling you. And then there's other times where you look at a session, you go, shit, that was hard. You know, the player was absolutely cooked, but won't give you much on it from a GPS point of view. Yeah, 100%. You just got to make sure that you keep your coaching eye out there and seeing how the, the players respond from that training. Hi, everyone. We just want to take a quick break from this episode. We hope you're enjoying this episode so far and all the content we have produced. We appreciate all the support from our listeners and followers so far. Remember to like, subscribe, and share Elite Rugby SNC on all social media platforms to all your family and friends. Thanks again for all your support. And now back to the episode. What does sprinting look like during the week at the West Tigers during, say, a typical preseason? And then what does that look like during the in-season as well? Yeah, preseason's easy because you can control most of the variables um, around, you know, exposures, how much exposure, number of exposures, distance over certain metrics. Uh, you know, when you've you've got the whole group there and it's just it's just easier, you know, it's nice. Um, you can periodize your whole program. Um, you can modify your program, so it's it's a lot easier preseason. Uh, yeah, preseason, in season a little bit harder. Um, obviously, you're playing and you don't you sort of know what you're going to get out of games, but certain games will will throw up some different kind of variables that you may not have expected. Um, so I think it's just 
um, having pre-season obviously need a appropriately, um, you know, periodized program to allow you to get to where you want to get to safely. So you probably got about five or six weeks to get them up to max speed safely before Christmas. Uh, and then you probably need to progress slowly post that Christmas period as well. So it's it's getting them to uh, a point where you're able to expose them to obviously, um, you know, max speeds, but then, you know, getting in the volume as well in an appropriate manner. Um, and then in season, it's just around, you know, um, playing as best you can and being being flexible and being adaptable to, to what the game throws up and what your training throws up during the week. Nice. So what does the, the first week of preseason look like? So where, where are athletes starting? And then what's the ideal target you want them to hit just before uh, Christmas um, with, with their sprinting? Yeah, I think you start with really basic mechanical drills to teach them, you know, how to run. Some some of these kids have come into our program at, you know, 18, 17, 18 years old and really don't know how to run efficiently. So that's a big part of it, just understanding the basics and then, like I said before, you really need to, to keep in mind what the goal is. And the goal is to create better footballers or, um, you know, allow them to express that within a game. So you can have someone that can run over 10 metres a second and look really good and really smooth. But if they can't catch pass at speed, um, you know, run, a, run an arc, um, run, fend, change hands, then... You know, it's not worth a pinch of shit. So you have to be, you have to go into it knowing what you want to get, you know, as as, as the final outcome. So um, we start start really basic and then we'll start to filter in some of that more football-specific speed towards back end of pre-season. And then that's a constant theme throughout the in-season period as well. And and making sure that, you know, our outside backs can do that, they can catch pass at at a decent click and, um, for our middles that might not necessarily need to hit those speeds that they are, um, you know, accelerating fast and are able to, to bring late feet and, and, and re-accelerate and those sort of things. So it looks slightly different for, for each player, but um, that's generally how we break it up. Nice. How does that sort of look like at training with you as the SSC coach and then you got the um the football coaches as well um working on those skills as well they might come to you and say hey we need to work on you know top speed and be able to catch and pass is that more of your area or is it more of them and sort of how do you get that sort of balance between the two that one's not going um in your lane and you're not going in their lane yeah i think the best programs that that i've witnessed are the ones that integrate the coaching staff and the football staff into it um, I was really lucky at St George Laura Dragons. I had two two assistant coaches that want to immerse themselves within the speed program and gave me really good feedback coming from AFL. I didn't didn't have too too many ideas about what would um, make up an NRL speed session, so they were really good in in uh, letting me know what they wanted, and then I could bring them into you know the last part of the speed session to make it look like a um, you know, so that the players can see the progression from where we started and to, you know, link in with a football program. And, um, yeah, I think the environments where there's collaboration between the two are the best ones and that that's ultimately what you want to achieve. Mm, 100%. You do see it sometimes when you are just running your, your own S&C um, drills and all that, the, the other coaches do stand to the side. But if you can in, invite them and, and see opportunities for them to coach and help you, um, it's, it's only going to make that program stronger, as you just said. Yeah, definitely. 
So loaded question for this one, but how do you then work with the medical team to make sure athletes are staying healthy? You know, you're preventing injury and then returning them from injury to perform. Yeah. So like I said, we, we work in a really collaborative environment. We've got a, um, we're all in a one office together. So we've got physios, school scientists, S&C coaches, but um when we make a decision, you know, around our structure or our program or, or something significant, it's a group decision. So um, everyone has input into it uh, or has a, the opportunity to provide input into it. Uh, so just as an example, if we're talking about speed, Graham Morris, who looks after our speed agility program, who we've had on the show, will present his framework for the, the speed agility program. We'll all have the opportunity, and that's, you know, physio, sports science, everyone have the opportunity to provide input into it um, and then we have a discussion or a debate about it and then we move on. So when we walk out of the door, we're all on the same page as to what we're doing and there's no sort of, oh, Graham wants to do this, but I think we should be doing this. It's, you know, we make a decision and we back the decision 100%. And, um, you know, a quote that I really like that I got from Phil Coles um, when he came and, and visited, who's the, the uh, I can't remember what he's called, he's exact title, but he's head of performance at the Boston Celtics. He talks about... Um, group responsibility, but individual accountability. So as a group, we're all responsible for the outcome because we've all had the opportunity to provide input into it. But ultimately, the person that's in charge of that program or that part of the program is accountable to it. Um, so that, that's sort of how we operate. Nice. So when things don't go your way, having those discussions, say, with the medical team or the coaching team, and there is a bit of, you know, that heated argument type of things. How do you sort of solve those problems? And what have you sort of learned over the years on how to best address those so, so that doesn't go any further or relationships don't get burnt or anything like that? Yeah, I think we, we to, to be honest, we don't have too many of those, those discussions where it's, you know, we're, we're banging heads too often. Um, I think a really important part of it is seeing the others person's side of it so i've learned over the years that physios have got strong views on um certain things that we might be doing whether it could be you know players at risk of getting injured so understanding um their concerns understanding where they're coming from uh ultimately the head of performance is the person that makes makes the decisions around which direction that we're going but it's very rare that he'd have to jump in and and um you know be the arbiter in in those conversations (laughs) Nice. But yeah, it's just, I, I guess for, for myself, it's always just reminding, you know, to leave my ego at the door and, and really understand what they're trying to to do and and what services they're trying to provide as well. And, you know, it's not just all about myself, you know, which is the hardest thing to do sometimes is, you know, we all put our shields up and want this type of way, but, you know, someone else might hold the key to, um, you know, to uh, to unlock the next part of the program and really make sure that, you know, that athlete returns back or, or this or, or something else happens. And that's right. And, and when you get strong personalities in the room, which, you know, everyone's driven, everyone wants to achieve the desired outcome for the players, there's naturally going to be conflict. So it's it's how you work through that to get the best outcome for the player. You know, um, you know, like you said, can you can you leave your ego at the door and, and have good, robust discussions where when you walk out of the room, you're on the same page and that that's reflected in, in how you present to the playing group. Mm, 100%. What do you think is often neglected and forgotten about in rugby league um, strength conditioning programs? I'll probably mention a little bit more, but the calf stuff is a big one for me. Um, yeah, it's something that's that's popped up over the last few years. It's um, that you have to be addressing within your program 
you know, there's been some high-profile cases within our sport, you know, players that are high quality that have left, left lost significant amount of time to to calf strains. Um, yeah, I think that that's a that's a big one for me going forward anyway. Yeah, and if you've never had a calf strain, it, it sucks. It really yeah. does suck. Every step you take reminds you that you've just hurt your calf. So if you can find ways to address that in your program and make sure athletes don't, um, you know, strain or tear their calf, then definitely do. A big one for me has just been skipping, you know, just adding in some skipping at the start of the programs after athletes do their warm-up is a great way for, for people if you don't know where to start, you know, to do the the sled marches, as Alex said, and, and all the um, Salaya stuff. But if you don't know where to start, just start off with just some skipping. Just some, something like that can make a big difference. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So when you do get some spare time during the week, what do you like to get up to besides, you know, just watching Netflix on the couch? Yeah, I'm pretty boring, to be honest with you. I um, got two active boys, um, three and six. So, you know, I like to spend a lot of time with the family. That's a big part of Part of it lived down in Wollongong, so I'd like to take them down the beach and get out in the sun and, and be active. Uh, yeah, I just I spent a yeah, pre-season, I obviously spent a lot of time at work. So when you get those opportunities, it's for me, it's family, family time. And um, yeah, I like watching sports docos, you know, when I do have a spare half an hour or hour or so. But yeah, that, that family is massive for me. Nice. So the boys are full into rugby league as well? Um, bit of everything at the moment. Yeah, a bit of bit of basketball, a bit of soccer. Um, yeah, the three year old's probably going to be built more like a rugby league player, so he might be naturally attracted to it. But um, yeah, myself and my wife grew up down in down in Victoria, so we we were AFL people at heart, I suppose. And um, yeah, I think the more sort of sports we can push them into and give them a variety. And let them choose where they ultimately want to end up, or where they, you know, want to be exposed to a number of different sports, and that that's cool as well. Mm, that's awesome. So, outside of rugby league, what sports do you like to watch and keep up to date with? Yeah, I like um, everything really. I, like I said at the start of the podcast, I'm, I like sports in general. So, you know, I watch a lot of basketball, um, NFL. Like tennis, uh, AFL is still a big one for me. You know, having worked in AFL for nine years, I still watch that a fair bit when it's on. Um, yeah, they're probably probably the main ones. Who's your AFL team at heart? Who who's the team that you like to back for every week? Um, Geelong, Geelong um, is a team I supported when I was growing up. But you know, I've worked at Brisbane and Hawthorne, so I like to see them do well. Uh, as well and then I've got mates at other clubs in, in different roles so I like to always watch those games and um, you know hope, hopefully hope they have success too Nice, so which players are due for a breakout year next uh, NRL season from, from the West Tigers? Yeah we've got a couple of young players here. we probably already had a breakout season this year but Doreen Bull is a young fullback who um, is really impressive to watch basketball background, just a really smooth mover um, you know, he's, he's been our fullback for the majority of the season. Last season, a young a young middle as well, uh, Fenua Pohl. I think this is his going to be third pre-season. So uh, he's had a good taste of what the NRL is all about. So I think he'll go to the next level. And then, um, you know, we're with a kid called Jaden Sullivan. He's probably not a kid now, but when I was at the Dragons, he's come through and 
he's a young halfback. I think a change of environment would be really good for him. So I'm really looking forward to working with him. And um, you know, I think he can he can be significant in our program in our team going forward. Nice, exciting times ahead. Another question has just popped up on my head. How hard is the rugby league, you know, fullback position? Because every year it just seems to increase more and the amount of hits and run meters that they do, it's just incredible to see these guys and girls just back up week to week to week. Yeah, it's um we had a look at the GPS report. So it's a GPS report that comes out for the whole competition and, and it's broken down into individual positions and the high velocity running sort of that top end running has just gone exponentially over the last um really since the 60 again which was well 2020 um so you know that along with the the distance and the volume and you know this this kid jareen forward can certainly generate high speeds and, and high distances too so it's yeah like it's such a physically demanding role um you know, even the way they move too, like a lot of it is, you know, running at high speed in arcs and, um, you know, then taking those carries and it's, um, yeah, it's a, it's a brutal, brutal position and it's, yeah, it seems to be only getting tougher physically. Mm, it's then also trying to find the mix. What's the best body shape to try and have for those fullbacks as, as well? Like, do you want to be that taller athlete of, um, you know, Travojevic or do you want to be sort of more built like um, like Teddy, you know? So it, it would be quite interesting to hear your thoughts upon that. Like, what's that correct sort of body shape to have just to be able to withstand but also be, you know, really fast and agile? Yeah, I think it's just um really individual you know individuals got certain attributes there's, there's things that make turbo great there's things that make teddy great and there's things that make Jareen ball really good so um yeah i think it's just working on those strengths um i don't think there is a sort of one size there's not a mold um so yeah it's um it's it's really just uh you know can i can i deal with the demands of the game and Jareem's a young kid so he probably needs to put on a bit of body weight but you know from a mechanical um, point of view in the way that that he moves he, he ticks most of those boxes nice so which song would you pick to sing at a karaoke bar well that's a tough one because I'm not much of a singer but I do like um, do like my country music at the moment so maybe a Luke Combs song um, yeah I'd have a crack at that but I'd have to have a few beers under my belt before I'd uh Put a microphone in my hand. True, but we could always just put a camera in the car and see the songs that you are singing <laughs> from here to Wollongong and back. <laughs> yeah, I don't think uh, anyone wants you for that. <laughs> so, what what is a common misconception you hear in rugby league that is just wrong? Uh, I don't think there's too many. Um, maybe that it's not so much of an aerobic sport. I think some people still see it as a speed speed power sport um, and don't really give the aerobic. Um, you know the aerobic capacity or the um, aerobic attributes much much thought but the way the game's going at the moment it's becoming a little bit more like sevens you know it's just you have to have a really good aerobic capacity to deal with the the demands of it um, you know six again rule has, has dictated that players need to be aerobically they need to be fitter um, so yeah even look at body shapes of, of players that are you know, within our squad, you look at someone like David Clemmer, who has, um, you know, what his body shape was 10, 18 years ago yeah. compared to what it is now, significantly different, you know, and that that's purely just so that he can um, meet the demands of the game. Mm. And an interesting thing um, that I was uh, listening to a podcast this week on, on rugby 
um, was, you know, with all these law changes and stuff like that, do you think they also consider the the health and welfare of players with, you know, having this six again rule, there's more ball in play, um, which means more time in play as well that's ticking over. Do you think we're going to see more of a trend that way or do they just need to sort of consider, you know, okay, with these new rules, we are, we are seeing a bit of a spike in these certain injuries. How do we sort of make sure we've got a good balance between that and still be giving a good spectacle to the audience out there as well? Yeah, and the short answer is no. I don't think they give it enough consideration. I think it um, becomes so much about what the spectacle is and how that appears on TV and, and all those sorts of things, and it's just up to us to adapt to, um, you know, what rules they're, they're putting in place. And I think that's indicative of a lot of sports. So, you know, AFL seem to change their rules every year, and um, as a result, you just you, you adapt and, um, you know, Players are very good at adapting. I suppose that that becomes a big part of it too. They're, um, you know, the human body's built to to constantly adapt. And um, yeah, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. It's just it's on us to to get it right and make sure that we're addressing whatever rule changes come into play. Mm, yeah, it was just really interesting when I heard. I was like, yeah, because with rugby, you know, the different changes in the scrum laws and stuff like that, and just how the the ball is in play a lot more than it used to be, and you know, that just means more big hits, more opportunities for a player to get injured. So, um, it's probably something that I've never thought about. Is you know, when you do make those rule changes, are you also taking in consideration uh, player welfare as well out in the field? Yeah, I think with the concussion stuff, that that comes obviously comes into it. That's a big part of big part of it, and then you know, also be making really proactive steps in in those areas and to try and reduce the the risk of concussion. So, um, yeah, that is part of it. But there's probably other areas that they they need to be more cognizant of too. Hundred mm, percent. Top three movies of all time in your eyes. Um, number one movie is Heat with Robert De Niro and um, and Al Pacino. That's that's one I've watched a thousand times before. Um, Casino is another one, so similar sort of theme. Um, and then Gladiator, I like like Gladiator, so they're they're probably my big three. Mm, I think it's definitely been a long time since I've seen Gladiator, so definitely have to put that on the TV as well. To, you know, get real inspiration if I'm ever feeling a bit down. <laughs> that's it. So what has been a big game-changing moment in your coaching career that stands out? Um, going over to China, I spent six months over in China working with their track and field team. It was uh, like nothing I've ever experienced in my coaching uh, journey. I'd recommend any young coaches, if you get the opportunity to go overseas and work in a different environment with different people, different athletes who, can, who think um, and do completely different things to what you would. It's um, it's huge. You know, I went over there and had a few translators, so uh, that obviously changed the way that I coached and the way that I communicated with the with the athletes. Seen different ways that they periodize or lack of periodization, and they, you know, they, they still get the desired outcomes. Are still world forcing mm. in most um, Olympic sports, and just to. Uh, to go over there and work with different coaches. Yeah, there's coaches that come from overseas, different countries with different philosophies and different beliefs. And, uh, you know, the opportunity to do that was, was massive for me. It's, um, you know, something I'll, I'll never forget. And there's, there's still parts of what I learned over there that I applied to my coaching today. And, um, yeah, can't speak more highly of getting into a different environment that's completely outside your comfort zone and, and dealing with all the shit that you need to deal with 
with overseas. It's just a big part of, um, you know, been a big part of my development. Hundred mm, percent. That language barrier would be so challenging to be able to get the message that you want, and you'd probably be, you know, using your own body to try and demonstrate what you want and be very specific and very simple. So yeah, it'll definitely challenge you and get you out of your comfort zone for sure. That's right. And when you see an athlete doing something, by the time you've looked at it, picked it up, told the translator, the translator, you know, understood it, communicated it back to the athlete, like it's gone. You've missed the opportunity. So you have to be um, very direct. And some of the good coaches over there, you know, Joseph Coyne, there's a guy who worked in China for a long period of time, um, Gavin Pratt, uh, Matt Jay, those sort of guys, I think, learned a little bit of Chinese and were able to queue. You become quite efficient in your queuing. Um, you know, just from from being over there and um, learning a little bit of the language, but yeah, it's uh, the, the way you communicate is, is huge. That's mm, no, awesome. If you could have a gigantic billboard with anywhere with anything on it, so you're just driving down the highway, and um, what message would you have on there to say um, to people out there? I think this is one I stole from a guy I worked with at the Brisbane Lions, Chris McClellan. Uh, he always talks about keep the main thing the main thing, you know. At the end of the day, we're here to train rugby league players. We're not here to train bodybuilders. We're not here to train Olympic lifters. We're not here to train powerlifters. We're here to enhance the physical attributes of rugby league players. So that's, yeah, that's a big one for me. Keep the main thing the main thing. Mm, love that. Is there any books out there that should uh, that people should read? Yeah, I think you mentioned one before. Um, Eddie Jones's book on leadership was a good one. Uh what else have I read recently? Stolen Focus is another one. And again, a lot of stuff we touched on during this podcast um, around the, you know, attention spans and how that's changed over time and the challenges that we've got in communicating information to, to people is, um, you know, that's a, that's a really good book. What else? I've, I've read one recently on um, negotiating, which is, you know, again, there's some, some really good points that came out of that book for me. And uh, what else did I read? Was that yeah, negotiating uh, one, Never Split the Difference? Uh, that's the one, yeah. Yeah, it's a yeah. great book. I really like that yeah. book. Yeah, so I'm sort of going slowly through that one and trying to, um, you know, take on as much information as I can because I think a lot of it's applicable to, to everyday life, you know, within this environment, within other environments, when you're dealing with your wife and when you're dealing with your kids. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, that, that was, yeah it, was, it was a good one. Hundred percent. Um, and then last one. What is a highlight that stands out in your coaching career so far? Uh, I think anytime your you athletes have success, so whether that be individual athletes or um, team sport athletes, for me, you know, in my second year being involved in the premiership of Hawthorne was a big, big highlight. And um, you know, working with individual athletes that have gone on to win gold medals, Olympic games, that's that's a big part of it. And then. Just the, you know, watching kids that come into the system when they're 17, 18 years old, you know, they're skinny kids that go on and, you know, they've got all sorts of like musculoskeletal injuries at that age and you're just thinking there's no hope for this kid. To watch them go on and play, you know, 250, 300 games of, mm. at, elite, at the elite level and have families and, and sort of grow up and, you know, that's a big part of it for me, like the individual and, and watching how they can develop over time. You know, it's not necessarily a, a coaching thing, but it's just a, you know, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's good to watch. Like, it's good to see good to see people develop in those ways and, and have success in their own life, not just their football career. Mm, and it's good that sport has been able to help them 
have those opportunities and allow them to, you know, see the world grow up and have just all these opportunities available to them. That's right. Yeah. Mm. So who should be my next guest on the podcast? Is there any coaches or athletes that come to mind that should come on for a chat? Um, a couple of guys that worked in rugby spring to mind. So um, Aaron Scully, who I worked with last year at the West Tigers and out in Newcastle Knights. He's worked at the Waratahs. Um, worked at a few different individual sports. He's, he's really good, really switched on, especially around the speed. So a lot of it is a deep thinker in, um, you know, how SNC principles applied to, to our environment. Um, and then Brenton Parsons is probably another one who's been a mentor for me when I was a young coach coming into the AFL system and, and the Olympic sports. He, um, you know, he really helped me in my career's work. He's played professional rugby. He's now working in the NRL as well. Spent a number of years in AFL, worked over in China. He's, um, he's, he's really impressive, impressive coach. And, um, yeah, just sees things for what they are and, um, is able to really apply apply his knowledge really well and uh, might be a good time to talk to him now. He spent 12 months in the NRL having come across from China. So, um, yeah, he, he, those two are probably two to spring to mind. Awesome. Thanks for that. So where can listeners find you on social media if they want to ever reach out or just keep up to date? Yeah, I've got a, a business called Dual Performance. That's um, that's on Instagram. This is Dual Performance. Uh, LinkedIn's really good. They're probably the two that, that I use the most and I'll try and put up a few more videos on, on Twitter. It's just Clarky, uh, AC, I think on Twitter. So yeah, I'm not a huge social media user. I mean, I get on social media and read a lot of stuff and, and watch videos, but I'm, I'm pretty poor at, at putting up content, which is something that I need to get a little bit better at. Nah, it's all good. Thanks for that. So thanks for joining me today. It's been awesome to get your insight and, and knowledge as well of the game and, um, I couldn't um, ask for more information out of you. So thanks again. I know our listeners are going to get some really good um, golden nuggets out of this. And and thanks again uh, for today and all the best for the season coming up for the West Tigers. No worries. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Elite Rugby SNC podcast. Remember to like, subscribe and rate Elite Rugby SNC on Spotify and YouTube. And make sure you follow us on Instagram. Sign up to come a beast via the link in the description or via Instagram page. Also, don't wait, make that good decision and join Elite Rugby SC today and take your game to the next level.